Well, good morning, everybody. Are you ready to open the Word of God? Before we do, let's um, again welcome everybody. I saw some folks coming in a little bit later after the welcome, so if you're visiting here today, you're a guest here today, welcome to the Anderson Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you're from out of town, we want to know why you came in when there was so much smoke in the air. When it's as smoky as this, the best thing is to not breathe. <laughs> not to breathe deeply. Shallow breaths. This is, um, you know, I actually was trying to track this fire on the news. And um, there was one headline that talked about Manton being wiped out. So, so obviously they, they averted that. But it could have been a, and for some, it was a catastrophe. It could have been much worse, of course, than it was. It was bad, but it could have been much worse. It shows you how fragile life is. Um, we're here one moment, we're gone the next. Our house is here, and then it's gone. So as Christians, and many of you here this morning are, uh, let us remember uh, take advantage of the blessings that God does give to us. It was music to my ears to know how the Anderson Church family reached out to others who were hurting. Some of the folks who were um, staying in the building here without a shower. Yes, without a shower. How can you live without a shower? What did people do before showers were invented? Um, I encourage the folks staying here just, just to sit in the kitchen sink and let someone scrub them off. But you know, it's kind of difficult. Maybe it's an incentive to build a community building with a number of showers so we can be more practical, more helpful. You know, the essence of Christianity is service. So what we're going to talk about this morning uh, does relate uh, to that, and we've actually seen it in action on the part of some of you reaching out to those who are hurting. Praise God for that. Let's bow our heads as we open God's Word. Gracious God, we thank you for your holy word. What a bright light it is. We think of Vic's story this morning, how seeing the light can bring us home. And I pray, Lord, that each person here, every man and woman, every boy and girl, understanding, Lord, realizing, Lord, that we all have different understandings, but that each one of us will understand, no matter how young or old we are, how old we are, will understand that only through Jesus Christ can we brought, be brought back to our spiritual foundation. Thank you for Jesus. May his spirit be here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Those of you that have been here the last two or three weeks, I'm going to kind of bring us. And those, of course, who haven't, I'll try and give you an idea of the direction that we're going. We're talking in a general way about the church. What was God's purpose or what is God's purpose for the church? And we're approaching that from different angles. The first time I approached it, it was from the Gospel of John, where Jesus said to his followers, uh, as the Father sent me. What's the rest of it? So send I you. So our ministry is to be modeled on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Another passage I looked at was talking about the priesthood of all believers, that every one of us who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ somehow, someway has a priestly vocation. Last week, I talked about the head and the body as a metaphor for the church. Who is the body? We are. We are the body. Who is the head of the body? The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the body. So let's just in a very quick, general way, bring ourselves up to speed. Maybe some of you here don't know the Bible very well. Or if you, if you have been reading the Bible, you wonder what, what on earth is all this about? When the human race rebelled against God, and this is in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, this is our introduction to the Bible, God created everything so good. They had open communion, fellowship, worship with God, and unfortunately rebelled against their creator and sin came in, which, which in essence distanced them from God. God took charge of that situation. He forgave Adam and Eve, but the disease of sin, so to speak, came upon the human race. And the rest of the Bible is talking about how God is dealing with the problem of sin. The clearest picture we have is when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth as the representative of humanity. He did not sin. He met all the demands of a holy God, of, of a holy law, and he sealed that on the cross with what? His death on the cross. So when Jesus died on, on the cross, he died as your representative and as my representative, the representative of the whole human race. That's why we can read text, whoever believes and trusts in him, this is God's gift to us, whoever accepts that has everlasting life. Why? Because Jesus dealt with the problem of death and sin and the devil and so on. But God raised him from the dead to show his approval of what Jesus did on the cross, and then eventually he ascended up into heaven. So Jesus' death is my death. His resurrection is my resurrection if I'm trusting in him, right? And his ascension, my ascension too. Now, when we, one of the passages that I'm going to take you into this morning, and we won't jump right into it now, is going to talk about the death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to talk about it this way, that when Jesus ascended, when he had his coronation in heaven, when, when the whole of the universe rejoiced, then God gave gifts to mankind. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So it's one thing to know that you are, have a priestly vocation, but what we're talking about this morning is how does God equip the saints, his children, for ministry, for service? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I have four passages. So this is to give you the lay of the land. I'm not saying that these are the only passages in the Scripture on spiritual gifts. In fact, I've taken you through the book of Acts, months on the book of Acts. The whole book is an illustration of how people exercised spiritual gifts. 
But there are four specific passages in the New Testament that at least I want you to be aware of. And the first one I'm going to start with is 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. So take the Bible in the pews, if you don't have a Bible, and I will give you the page reference. What did I say? First Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. That's page 1890 and page 1891. Let's pick it up in verse 7, page 1891. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. I want to throw in here, right at the beginning, that as we look at these four different passages very quickly this morning, notice how love is there somehow, some way. Because it's very easy for the spiritual gifts to be abused, to be misunderstood, and to be abused. That's exactly what we find in the church of Corinth. So any gift or talent that God has given to you to help to build up the body of Christ, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ as the head who gives these gifts, and his life and energy and vitality goes through the believers and is expressed in the gifts, it's, it's important that, that love, obviously for God and for one another, is central to everything we talk about with spiritual gifts. So here love is mentioned in verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers what? Committed any sins? Anybody sinned against you? Got any grievances against anyone? That little four-letter word, the best four-letter word in the Bible, love, is to cover it. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That is a spiritual gift. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So when God gives his gifts, it is an expression of, of grace. Now, we don't usually talk of grace in the context of service and gifts. This morning, we will be. So, when we talk about grace, we're not talking about uh, our neighbor down the road, some lady's name. We're talking about God in His kindness saving us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't have to do that. We could have died in our sins, right? There could have been a different ending to the story than the one we have in the Bible, but it, because of his graciousness, his unmerited favor, his kindness towards us, by trusting in Jesus, somehow, some way, God deals with our sins. They're not held against us. So that's grace. That's kindness. It's not deserved. It's pure grace. But we're not talking about it in, the, in that context of salvation. Overtly, indirectly we are. We're talking it more in terms of, okay, we're saved for what? 
was saved for service. And the same God who brings you to himself, brings you to the Lord Jesus Christ, is the same God who will now equip you for service. So notice that little word, grace. We will come across that in some of the other passages. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that's just a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. In verse 1 of chapter 4 there, he says, have the same attitude as the Lord Jesus Christ had. Well, what was that attitude? It was to serve humanity, serve his heavenly Father, to seek and to save the lost. Did Jesus love? Was he the expression of grace and faithfulness? Yes, he was. So that's the way our ministry to be. See, what we tend to focus on is who is the most talented? Who is the most gifted? And in Corinth, it was who has the gift of tongues? Those that had the gift of tongues, they had their little hierarchy of gifts. Uh, was it last week or the week before I talked to against hierarchy? We don't want that in the church not in the local church, not in the conference level, general conference, division, whatever, not on any level of the church do we want to have hierarchy. And I don't think you'll find that in the New Testament. Okay, let me take you to another passage, and that's in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now, I know that you're all taking notes this morning, so that's why I'm giving you these passages I'm just joking. I don't want to feel guilty because you don't have a ballpoint. All right, Romans 12, page 1763. Therefore, I urge you, brothers... Now, let me stop. It's really hard for me to preach on these verses because I think I really don't want to take them out of context. And the material before these verses is so good. But hey, there's no way that I'm going to preach 11 chapters to you this morning. But in those 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has laid out in a very wonderful way the whole plan of salvation. So you have to kind of remember that. And then in chapter 12, he says, okay, what's next? How do we apply this? So that's where we are. We're in the practical application when we get to chapter 12. All the rest before that, Three-quarters of the book is teaching and doctoring about what Jesus has done for us in the plan of salvation. So here, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His perfect, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body, so here's the body metaphor that we talked about last week, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So if we liken it to the human body, does the eye have the same function? Children, any children out there? When you were really, really little, we used to say, show me your eye, show me your nose. Why do adults use baby language? Why do we change the tone of our voice? Do we think babies like that? Don't you think babies roll their eyes when they hear this baby voice that you're doing? Show me your nose, show me, where's your ears? Oh, look at that, she knows where her ears are. Now let me ask you children, does the nose do the same job as the ear? Does the nose hear? And does the ear smell? Well, that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. We all have differing gifts. Every gift is really important, and they all must work together, just kind of like the members of an orchestra. They all must work together to bring glory and honor to God. So verse 4, as each one of us has many members, each mem um, one of these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. We have differing gifts according to the grace given us. If a man, and I'm going to put uh, women in here, if a person's gift is prophesying, let him or her use it in proportion to his faith. So prophecy is a gift of God, right? Uh, if, it is, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encouraging. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, didn't I just say to you that love should be here somewhere? Where is it in these verses? Some of you are not looking at your Bibles. Where is it? There you go, verse 9. Love must be sincere. You know, in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, which we won't go into that passage this morning, he says, though I have all these gifts, all of these talents, and yet do not have love, I am nothing. So love has to be central to all of them. So there's... There, it's very interesting that when Paul finishes this, his 11-chapter discussion on the wisdom of God in, in giving us the gift of salvation and has taken us in, into all of those wonderful areas of, of how God gets us right with himself, justification by faith, and how he cleans us up day by day, holiness or sanctification, and how we're not just waiting for glorification. We've actually been glorified now in, in a sense. And he talks about the assurance of salvation and the, the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God. It's interesting that he, when he starts saying, okay, let's apply. Very soon he brings in this idea of spiritual gifts. He wants the church, the church body, to fire on all cylinders. He does not want the church 
just to be firing or misfiring via the pastor. Now, pastors can have their act together or not, right? But you could have a misfiring pastor or maybe not even have a pastor at all, but have people within the congregation who have the, the gift of shepherding and pastoring, right? So when we get to that word pastor, I'm not sure if it was in this passage or the one in Peter, but when we do get to that one, then think of shepherd. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better, no better illustration of ministry and service than him. Then think of leading the flock of God. You could have a misfiring pastor or elder, and yet the church members can fire on all cylinders. But what God wants is for us all to know what our gifts are, to be using them in the right way, in a way, in a, a method, a way of service and humility and love, so that the body can be strong and healthy and grow. When we saw the children sat here this morning, Vic actually said, maybe, I don't know if even Vic remembers saying this, but he actually said, oh, we have some, some young ones there, and we have some older ones. Older ones, probably Jake or someone like that, right? Different ages, and that's how it is in the church. We have some new believers, we have some folks who have been, been following Jesus Christ for 20, 30, 40, 50 years all on different levels of growth, and yet all can exercise their gifts. I really wish, I think I'll wish upon a star this morning. Dream dreams. It's one of the things that's in that book that has been passed out to some of you. Recreating the dream. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think of uh, what the best days were for the Anderson Church family? And maybe some of us haven't been here long enough to really think that way. But then how to, to, to recreate that, how to get to that point again. So dreaming dreams that everyone, everyone, no matter how bright or not, understands how God has equipped them for service. Well, it's one thing to know that, and I think some of us do know that. There may be 50% of this audience this morning that does know what their spiritual gift is. And I could actually pick some of you out this morning and, and uh, reaffirm what your spiritual gift is. But where, we, where it breaks down is how to apply that. Not just to know it, which is important, different ways we can figure this out, but then to use it. So, as I've said to you before, if you feel you have the gift of preaching, and you start to preach, and everyone, even the babies, vacate the sanctuary, maybe, possibly, that's not your gift. So there are different ways we can 
We can have questionnaires. We can study these things together. We can talk these things together. We can have an interview process. There are different ways we can figure these things out. We can do it on a computer with software. But it's ultimately when you plunge into the water, so to speak, do you really figure out where your gift is. And I wish when I had joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I think God in his own mysterious way uh, certainly clearly led me to Jesus Christ. There's lots of things, for example, in the Bible I didn't understand, and that's probably still true today. But God got me to Jesus. God did that. And I'm so thankful for that. That's the, that's the most important thing. That's what gives you eternal life, right? But then to know, well, what's the next step? What am I supposed to do as a Christian? Am I supposed to help other people? What about when I walk around and drive around and I see the homeless and I see people asking for money on outside Safeway or whatever, or my neighbor down the street has just uh, lost their house in the fire, what, what am I supposed to do? And it's amazing how many Christians, many Seventh-day Adventists, do not understand that part of the equation. And it is important when, when you first come to Christ and, and join, join his church, it is important that somebody sits you down either in a class setting or a small group setting or one-on-one -on -one and spells these things out because it's part of being grounded in the faith. Isn't it exciting when you do discover your gifts and you start exercising those gifts and you really have this tremendous feeling of completeness and fulfillment. Wow, God can use even me. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Take another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now this is a long section, and it actually is three chapters. So I've mentioned just the first one, chapter 12. Chapter 12, he talks about the body just like we talked about last week. And he goes into great detail on the church being likened to a human body. Having all these different parts, these different members, every part is important. He talks about uh, an equality of idea there, so that's one of the most important things to grasp, that God does, doesn't just give his gifts to the men, but he gives them to the women and anyone in between. He doesn't just give them to the old. He gives them to the young. Anyone who believes in Jesus, with no exceptions, has at least one spiritual gift. And is supposed to figure that out and then to exercise that gift. So he says here in verse 1, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, if I ever take that passage and uh, go into it in great detail, I probably will come up with a different translation than that, because I think the real context there is really talking about who is spiritual and who is not. 
and false teachers were coming in with supposedly a spiritual message and they were lead, leading these Corinthians astray. But most translations have now about spiritual gifts and it has this long discussion on spiritual gifts. So let's just uh, leave it at that for the time being. If you've ever studied this book, you know right from the first chapter that it was a spiritually immature church. We talked very briefly about that in my class this morning. What does it mean to be spiritually immature? What does it mean to be spiritually mature? Well, in Corinth, you had a church where, and this is pre predominantly a Gentile church, where they had different cliques. Don't you love to be in the right clique? Huh? Some were for Paul, some were for, for Apollos, some were for Jesus, some were for Peter. So imagine this church right now being divided into four parts. And we're all supposed to get along with one another. And what you actually have are four factions in the church. Problem or no problem? Major problem. Because the church cannot glorify God while it's divided. The church can glorify God when it's unified and when it's expressing its gifts and serving humanity. That's when it can bring glory to God. And our works do bring glory to God if they're done for the right motivation through the Holy Spirit. So that there is a, a real purpose in us exercising our gifts. So yes, it was an incredibly gifted church. And you have to deal with the paradox, paradox to us, maybe not to God. Why, why does he give so many gifts to so many immature people? It's God. He has his reasons. Maybe he knows that those immature Christians will grow up one day. But it's a gifted church, it's an immature church, it has its factions, and then when we go to chapter 14, we will see very clearly that one of the major problems in this church was that they were exalting tongues over a gift like prophecy. So that became a real problem. Paul doesn't say, hey, let's shut down all the tongue speakers. He just builds guidelines in that there should be interpretation, and that prophecy, he says in chapter 14, uh, is, is a better gift to build up the congregation. And I think you'll see that in all of these four passages this morning. You'll see over and over again the importance of biblical teaching. People can have all sorts of incredible gifts, the gift of miracles. Would some of you like to have that this morning? What about the gift of healing? Can you imagine how dynamic it would be if we could just have one of you that has the gift of healing and then anybody, anybody who has their ailments just come up and Sister Healer will take care of you? Huh? I kind of think that these pews would be filled up if we had that. It's also possible that the devil would, would uh, have his say too and try and 
try and confuse us. But Jesus is the one who decides who gets what gifts. And this is a long discussion in the context of the body, which we talked about last week on how we should uh, exercise those spiritual gifts. Now I want to take you into one final passage, Ephesians chapter 4, where we were, we left it off last week. So we've talked about it, 1 Peter 4 and now Ephesians 4, so there's a way of remembering it. 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, how easy is that? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians what? 12. Now I know it's chapter, actually chapter 14 as well, with the love chapter in between, but just as an easy way of remembering where most of the spiritual gifts are in Scripture. Another thing I want to say too is that these lists of spiritual gifts are not exhaustive. So Paul is not saying, okay, these guys need to understand. I'm going to give them a Bible study on spiritual gift, and I'm going to list all the spirit. No, that's not it at all. It, it's almost, in some places like in Peter and in Romans, it's almost incidental that he mentions these gifts. Of course, if it becomes a problem in the church, then he's especially going to mention it. So I'm going to read here. Um, Starting at Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in what? So there's the love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here he's talking about unity. A major problem in Corinth. As far as I know, not such a major problem in Ephesus, but it's still mentioned here. There's a reason why he does that. To, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to... Is there some word that keeps jumping out on these verses? What is it? One, 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 one. One hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what we have here is a discussion on unity in the context... Uh, in the next few verses of spiritual gifts, and he's using the Godhead as an illustration. So who is God? What is God all about? Well, there's many ways we could explain that. The Bible teaches that God is our Heavenly Father, right? How many of you believe that? It's very basic to Jesus' prayer. Lord, teach us how to pray. They'd never seen anyone pray like Jesus. He says, our Father who's in heaven. So right there, our heavenly Father is God. But what about the Lord Jesus Christ? Could we call him God? Well, the Bible does. So the Lord Jesus Christ is also God. So we have God as Father. We also have God as Holy, as uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have God as someone called the Holy Spirit, not as some neutral force uh, emanating from the Father or from the Son, like, like the power of electricity or something like that. But no, uh, the Holy Spirit who has personality, who can be grieved, who can be quenched, who can speak to His people. He also is God. Now, we talked about three, and Paul is speaking about one. 
So he mentions all of these members of the Godhead, these persons of the Godhead, but he talks of them as one. So there's, there's the paradox. One in three, three in one. Can we understand, and we will understand it when we study our Bibles, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all work together to save humanity. They were all involved in this plan to save humanity, right? And somehow, even though the Son is not the Father and the Father is not the Son, somehow, someway, they just work together perfectly like a well-oiled machine. So the church is to model its ministry. Its ministry means your ministry, my ministry, our ministry, our service on the Godhead. Now, if the Father and the Son disagree on the plan of salvation, maybe something will slip between the cracks. Maybe we won't have a unified plan of salvation, right? Most of you can understand that. That's kind of common sense. But it also works that way on the local church. If we're not working with one another, if we're not unified on what the church is supposed to be and how we are to function as a church family, then you get what we call disunity. All right, I wish I had more to say on that, but let's, well, I do have more to say, but not now. Let's move on. One God and Father of all who is through all. But verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given. So there's the word grace, as Christ apportioned it. So if you're going to ask for spiritual gifts, and Paul does encourage us to do that, then you're going to talk to Jesus about it, right? He's the one that gives the gifts. He's the one you need to talk to. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. When he but what does it de he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower earthly regions? So now your head is spinning because you're wondering what on earth it's talking about. And the theologians have a field day with these verses, and I'm going to give it you like in two, three seconds. It's just talking about Jesus coming to this earth, condescending, humiliating himself, the way he did on behalf of humanity. And because of that, Philippians chapter 2 is a great passage to interpret this. Because he humbled himself, God has greatly exalted him. So, life, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, ascension, and so on. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles. So God, through Jesus, pours out his gifts on humanity after he has this coronation in heaven. Some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for what? So here's for works of service. So here's some specific gifts kind of clustered together. And all of these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and we're going to link pastor-teacher as one gift together. All of these gifts are to train. These are training gifts. To train God's people for what? Service. Works of service. So within this congregation, 
there must be some of you who have these gifts. Right? Or are these gifts just for the first century as some, some Christians believe? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So it's immature to be ignorant of these things. It's immature to not be exercising your gift. You might be a wonderful Christian. I don't doubt that. But you're lopsided. You're not balanced. You're not bringing balance to the body of Christ. The Anderson Church family is unbalanced if we're not all exercising our gifts. That's why some of us feel so passionately about this. We can't have 20%, 15% of the congregation doing the ministry. We're going to aim for 100%. But pastor, that's not realistic. Well, we're going to aim for the mountaintop. Got a problem with that? Maybe we get up halfway, but that's better than staying around the base of the mountain. So notice the body here, the body metaphor, being healthy, being strong. Isn't that what you want for your church family? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth. So it's like navigational language here, little boats being tossed on these huge waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead of all of that confusion, speaking the truth in love, really a, a good translation of that would be living the truth lovingly. There's not a, there's not a, a conflict between truth and love. Truth identifies what love is. Love is the living of truth. We will in all things grow up into him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, here it is again, in what? Love, as each part does its work, ministry, service. So, let me see you smile now. Coming to the end of the sermon, ah. You can stretch those muscles in a few moments, but I want you to stretch the muscles of your brain before we close. Is it clear? Now, I know we went really quick through some of these passages, and perhaps in, in the coming weeks we can go more slowly through some of them. But is it really clear to you that we are literally the expression of the body of Jesus? It's just the language that is used for us, for the church. It's a metaphor. We could use the idea of bride. That's also in the book of Ephesians a little bit later on. We could use the metaphor of family, household, temple, vine branches, lots of different metaphors. But I think probably the most helpful one is this one of the body and the head. And the Lord Jesus Christ is to be the one in charge of this church family. Now we're thinking, of course, globally, 
but if I mention it globally, it'll kind of not have meaning for you. So let's just talk of this church family. The Lord Jesus Christ is to be the head of the body of the Anderson Church family. He's going to send his energy, his life force out to the different believers. He's going to gift, gift them. He's, he can see the whole needs of this flock, and he can give Les a specific gift right now if he wants to do that, or he can bring somebody through these doors who become, can become part of our church family and bring the gift that way too. So he's the one who figures out who's going to get the gift and how he's going to give them that gift. But we have to believe, I have to believe as a pastor, that Jesus is going to do his work. Because if I take Jesus out of the equation here, then we have a man-made institution. And then we need our committees and we need our, our huddling together to figure out what to do here, there and the other. And, and it, it becomes very man-centered and not God-centered. And I don't believe in chaos and confusion, but I do believe that Jesus is able to pastor his church and to equip his church. Now, are we willing are we willing as a church family? I want you to examine your own heart this morning. You know how many phone calls you've had from nominating committees over the years. You know how some of you have really struggled to figure out where you fit in. And it's my job and it's the job of other leaders in this church to help you to figure that out. So we're not saying you have to do all this on your own, but there has to be a willingness on the part of all of us to be used by Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And if we're not willing to do that, then that's rebellion against God, rebellion against the Spirit. So when we talk about quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit, we can slide it right in here, because that's exactly what it is. Some of you quench and grieve the Spirit by not saying amen. Right? Do you think God wants a passive congregation? Where do you find passive congregations in cemeteries? Is that, the, is that the model for the church that God wants? I believe that in these New Testament house churches, most of them were house churches, I believe that there was a lot of action. And I believe there was a lot of participation. And it is frustrating that we don't get more information on that. In the New Testament, we usually hear what the problems were. So Paul will write this quick letter to deal with some of the, some of the issues there. But I believe that it, it wasn't all just going through one person, that all had a part to play. And yet, when, even though it's, it's unity, it's diversity, diversity and unity, somehow, someway, because Christ is in charge, it can all work together to God's glory. It builds up the flock. So there has to be a willingness on our part to get involved, to do works of service. So search your hearts this morning. Make it a matter of prayer over these next few weeks as we deal with some of these, we approach this whole topic of uh, God equipping the church uh, through spiritual gifts. Search your own heart, find out, pray about it, ask God to show you how he has equipped you. And then when you figure out uh, come to church with a big smile on your face and say, say, Pastor, and some of you have actually done that uh, in the five years I've been here. Pastor, 
I just want to be used in any way, shape, or form. The church needs me. That's music to my ears when I hear that. Then I think, wow, you're understanding what Christianity is all about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the, the picture of Jesus this morning. The one who came to seek and to save the lost. The one who, who said and really meant it because he lived it. I came not to be served, but to serve. Lord, if we've been saved from our sins, from your wrath, then we've been saved for a purpose, and that purpose is service. So I pray, Lord, that each one of us, man, woman, boy, and girl, will figure out with your help, with the church's help, how they are so equipped, how they are gifted by God, and help them to find some, some form of ministry, some area of service, so that they can be fruitful for you, so that this church body here can be strong and healthy, firing on all cylinders, growing in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our prayer for this church family. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.